Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. Hope you enjoyed what turned out to be a beautiful afternoon, a little cooler. But uh, really nice out there. I saw a lot of people enjoying themselves on the circle uh, as I walked in, and uh, that's always nice to see. We want to see people down here. I'll be down here uh, for the Colts game tomorrow. Looking forward to that. I have I have a, a son who lives in Denver and a daughter who lives in Jacksonville, but they're both still big Colts fans. And I have another son uh, who lives here in the Indy area, and all of us together uh, along with two of my grandkids are all going to the Colts game tomorrow. So I am fired up for that. It's good to see uh, Jonathan Taylor is uh, not only healthy uh, and uh, was, was, I believe, planning to play anyway, but filed an extension uh, or was given a contract extension. It's a better way to put it. And uh, paid a bunch of money, uh, got a three-year uh, extension to his contract. So that's fun to see too. But, hey, you don't turn into the – Gun Guy Show to get a weather report or uh, an update on uh, on local sports. Uh, we've got an awful lot of Second Amendment issues to get into. It's going to be back, by the way. We missed last week with uh, the IU game. I was just checking the schedule. IU plays at noon next week, so we should be just fine for the Gun Guy Show uh, here again next week. I think the Hoosiers had today off, which also uh, opened us up to make sure we had a Gun Guy Show. But I want to get into a case I've been involved in that also involves a statute uh, that I was involved in getting passed. And uh, that involves self-defense immunity. And what we mean by that, and this is a, a really important issue, is it deals with civil liability. That is, the ability to get sued or the vulnerability of getting sued and someone collecting damages from you in a civil lawsuit if you simply defend yourself. And listen, I've been involved in you know a lot of training, not only as an instructor, but as a student. And uh, I've been to uh, dozens of classes. I remember going to out to uh, a training facility out outside Vegas, out in the desert in Pahrump, Nevada, called Front Sight, and it, it's sort of imploded since then. I think they're trying to reorganize. But at any rate, if you went out there, there were a number of series, uh, a number of lectures that they had you uh, attend as part of the training out there. And one, and, and I, I've heard this thing three or four times, was defending battles two and three. And I remember seeing that title I'm like, well, that's interesting. Now we're talking about defending ourselves against multiple bad guys. Uh, what are we talking about here? But when you go to this, this training session, this lecture, it's taught by a police officer, which I don't know uh, was the best choice. I think it, I should have been by a defense attorney, but maybe that's my 
that's my egocentrism speaking there. But it was uh, the one the ones I to, went to were uh, conducted by a, a police officer, and he, he said, "Listen, let's say you have an encounter on the street where you're forced to use force to defend yourself, or even deadly force to defend yourself, to defend your family, or you're forced to defend your home with force, including deadly force. You know, winning the battle against the bad guy, what may turn out to be a gunfight. Winning battle number one is just battle number one. What we're now going to talk about is winning battles two and three. So that was the context of the title of this thing. And it went on to say your first thing to be concerned about is whether you're going to be criminally prosecuted. And he talked about, you know, what I've talked about, which is certainly in parts of the country, you're under more risk of this because of quote unquote liberal prosecutors who are going to look at an issue and say, oh yeah, well, uh, this person may be claiming self-defense, but uh, I don't like the factual background that led to this person needing to use force and self-defense. And so I'm going to file a criminal case anyway. So criminal prosecution is sort of battle number two, which is what you got to worry about if you use force and self-defense. Because the way the law of self-defense works, and if you listen to the gun guy show, you understand this part. The way the law of self-defense works is it takes an act that would otherwise be a criminal act. In fact, could be a very, very egregious crime. Like killing a human being is the act of killing a human being intentionally. Is that a crime or not? Well, under many circumstances, it certainly is. It's murder. You can go do a whole bunch of time in jail or even under some circumstances, what we call aggravating circumstances, get life in prison with no parole or even the death penalty for intentionally killing a human being. But the law of self-defense takes that same action, which is intentionally killing a human being, and says, no, under some circumstances where it's justified, not only is it not a very, very serious crime that can land you in jail for decades or life or even the death penalty, no, it's not a crime at all. You go home and sleep in your own bed at night. That's exactly how that law works. And and it all is determined by whether or not you meet the test under the circumstances of your use of force for justification under the self-defense statute. Or I say self-defense, by the way, that's always going to include defending other innocent parties. So if you're not justified, can you be criminally prosecuted? Absolutely. Can you believe yourself to be justified and have criminal charges Still filed. You bet. Prosecutor's office may simply disagree and file charges. But then let's say you don't get prosecuted at all. Or let's say you do get prosecuted, but you win. You have the case dismissed. Or you even win it at trial to show that you were justified. You can still get sued, potentially. You can still get sued by the injured bad guy. Or let's say you use deadly force. The bad guy's not still around. His family file a lawsuit. It's called a wrongful death lawsuit and try to collect civil damages from you for having caused the quote unquote wrongful death 
of their family member. And so that's what, in going to this lecture, winning battles two and three, that's what that was all about. Because, okay, you won the gun battle. You won the fight where someone was trying to break in your house or someone was trying to hurt you on the street or commit a violent felony against you. You won that battle, but now you got to worry about criminal prosecution. you got to worry about civil liability. The Indiana Self-Defense Statute for many, many years had some, some language in it right in the self-defense statute, and, and this language is still there. This says, no person shall be placed in any legal jeopardy whatsoever for the justified use of force as defined in this chapter, and that is the self-defense law. I'm paraphrasing that, but that's almost exactly what it says. And so we had this long-running debate, well, what does any legal jeopardy mean? It certainly would mean you can't be prosecuted and convicted for a crime because what you did was justified. Does that also mean you can't get sued? Because in that, in that, in that, again, in those lectures that I've been to many times, and not just the one class I'm talking about out in Nevada, I've been to many others where an instructor at some point said, by the way, if you use force, even if you're justified, even if somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night and they get hurt or they get killed, because the homeowner defends himself, because you defend your home, you're going to get sued. Just count on it. You're going to get sued. And I always remember sitting in that room here in that lecture saying to myself, asking myself, why is that okay? You're going to get sued. Just plan on it. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, a guy breaks in your house, and you hurt him, you kill him, you're going to get sued. Well, that's what we took a hard look at in 2019, and it was based on a particular case of mine, because by the way, in my many, many years as an attorney, I just hit 40 years as an attorney, which is shocking to me. But I've defended a number of people, I believe it's eight now, people who have taken a human life in self-defense in the defense of a third person. And every one of them were absolutely justified. Some of them, they were simply under investigation because they'd used deadly force. Like the hero in the Greenwood Park Mall shooting, Elijah Dickett. He was certainly never prosecuted for a crime. But when you're being a part of, you're caught up in a homicide investigation, it makes a lot of sense to have a lawyer. Other people were sued or were prosecuted for a crime or both. But I had a particular case, actually goes back a little bit earlier than 2019, that really compelled me to say, you know what, it's not okay that we should just expect to get sued if we defend ourselves or we defend our homes. That shouldn't be all right. That shouldn't be accepted. And, 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 and when I hear one of those lectures, oh, yeah, well, even if you're completely justified, you're going to get sued. Everybody sits around and nods and says, oh, yeah, well, that's going to happen. I've never, I've never been okay with that. And so here in Indiana in 2019, we changed it. And we changed it in a very good way. I'll tell you about the case, and I've talked about it before, but it's worth revisiting. Certainly worth revisiting, because it involves a very heroic young lady, a single mom at the time. But we'll talk about the case that inspired it, and then, and then the change in the law, and how that change in the law 
has benefited someone here very recently, uh, right here in uh, Marion County, where I'm doing the show from right now. But uh, in the meantime, we're a little past the quarter hour, so we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. By the way, before I get on with the show, I want to send a shout-out to the people who came with a night with, uh, a night with WIBC over at the Indiana Historical Society. Uh, they have got a, a really beautiful theater in that building right over at 450 West Ohio, so it's right downtown. But uh, gorgeous facility, but we do this almost every year. I think this was the fourth one, and it was just a really fun night. Uh, it's a situation where uh, an event where people can buy tickets, and they come, and there's a, a meet-and-greet, kind of a cocktail hour beforehand. They've got hors d'oeuvres and whatnot. Uh, so it's a, a time to you know take pictures and shake hands and and uh, just meet uh, with listeners uh, and which is always just a lot of fun and people people are so kind and and sweet uh, but then there's a, a presentation where each of the the weekday hosts so Tony Katz and um, uh, Casey Daniels and uh, Rob Kendall and Hammer and Nigel. Uh, they all come out and do sort of a miniature version of their shows, but they do it live there from the stage. And uh, there's a lot of interaction. Uh, it's uh, it's not being broadcast, so uh, the old FCC rules don't apply, so people can get a little more uh, creative in their language or discussion uh, topics or whatnot. And it, it, but you know, and the crowd was just so into it. And, uh, you know, Jason Hammer in particular is just really good at getting the, the, foul, the crowd fired up. And uh, he had a sing-along at the end, uh, to the song Shout, if you remember that, from Animal House. Um, but uh, anyway, it was just a, a lot of fun, and people were really, really sweet to me. Uh, I wasn't part of the, the presentations, since I'm just a weekend guy, but, uh, but they have a roundtable at the end where they, uh, they have the, the – the weekday folks, and then uh, Tony Kennett, uh, who now has a, a show on weekends, and Abdul, who's been around for a long, long time, and Ethan Hatcher, who comes on right after me here on Saturdays, uh, and I, we all joined the the weekday folks, and we uh, just had, you know, kind of a discussion roundtable uh, moderated this year by Tony Kennett, who did a really nice job, and that's a lot of fun, because uh, we're answering questions and, and having a bit of dialogue, and, you know, you get that many talk show hosts uh, on the stage at once. You know, not everybody agrees on everything, which is where it gets uh, fun and interesting. So anyway, it was just a really neat night. I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I really enjoyed meeting people. If you were there, particularly if you came up and, uh, you know, took a picture or, or shook hands or, or, you know, we just had a discussion, I just want to tell you I really appreciate it. People were really sweet, and, uh, and it meant a lot to me. I always really enjoy that evening. At any rate, let's get back to what uh, I was talking about before. But I'll tell you what, before we do, uh, our pal Buzz has called in and has a question. So let's go to the phone lines. And uh, Buzz, welcome back to the Gun Guy Show, buddy. How you doing? Doing all right. What you got? Okay, my question is, here lately I've been hearing a trend where after this situation, they're waiting on a toxicology report. Now, are you subjected to, like, a blood draw or something if you get in this situation? Yeah, you can, you can be, Buzz. And uh, a lot of times they'll 
they'll say they want to uh, uh, take a breathalyzer or they want to do a blood draw. Um, you can certainly say no, but uh, if they then get a warrant, they're going to take a blood draw whether uh, you want them to or not. Now, do do they have a, pro- a probable cause? Um, do they can they meet the requirements to get a warrant? Uh, more than likely, um, you know that there's uh, I believe there's even a statute, and I don't get in- involved in vehicular accidents. Um, but uh, my understanding, there's a law that says if you're involved in a fatal automobile uh, collision, that uh, they take a blood draw. And uh, so I imagine, you know, a, a, a homicide, and it may be a justified homicide, but the intentional killing of a human being, whether justified or not, is still called a homicide. You're involved in a homicide. You're involved with the death of a human being. I, I would I would expect authorities, and in my experience, uh, they do um, take a blood draw, and they, they want to run that through toxicology. Now, let's say somebody's kicking my door down in the middle of the night, and, you know, I don't know them. They've got no connection to me. Um, you know, it's not my my wife that I've locked out of the house or, you know, someone uh, who's entitled to be in my house or I've invited into my house. It's a total stranger who's just breaking into my house. And they kick the door in. So I defend myself, defend my home under the castle doctrine. That's legal. You can use reasonable force, including deadly force, to prevent or terminate an unlawful entry into your home. So that's exactly what I do. I I prevent or terminate that unlawful entry into my home with deadly force. Castle Doctrine says I can. But let's say it's a it's a cult Sunday and I've been sitting in front of the TV for 10 hours watching football, uh, Colts game and the and the later game and Sunday night football and I'm pounding down beers the whole time I'm doing that. So I'm a, you know, point whatever, well over the legal limit. When all of this transpires, where after this person breaks my my door down, does that mean I was no longer entitled to defend my home? No, it doesn't mean that. doesn't mean that at all. I, I, I can be inebriated, intoxicated, or impaired. And the danger in that is that you will use bad judgment and do something that is not, in fact, justified or not, in fact, legal. And obviously, when you drink to the point of intoxication or or impairment, you can do knuckleheaded things. And if those knuckleheaded things happen to be a crime, then they can send you to jail. But the the mere fact of intoxication or alcohol use or the use of another intoxicant doesn't turn what would otherwise be a lawful act into an unlawful act. Now, can the prosecutor spin that in such a way to try to make you look irresponsible or make what you did seemed to be unjustified or illegal. Um, yeah, but that fact alone doesn't change a legal act from it to an illegal act. But that doesn't mean they can't still check if uh, if the if the police officers decide that's information they want. Now again, you can fight it. You can say no. Then it's a matter of whether they have the ability to get a warrant from a judge to collect that 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 blood draw from you notwithstanding the fact that you have not consented to that. And there may be a legal fight involved in that as well. 
but interesting question. Tell you what, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take a break. Uh, great question from Buzz. Uh, we always want to take our calls uh, from our listeners. You have a question, you have a comment, you want to join the discussion, give us a call. It's 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. We'll be right back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We'll talk a little bit more about civil immunity, what that really means here in Indiana, how that law has changed, and what inspired the change in the law. Before we do, though, Brian has called in. And uh, Brian, you got a question for us, buddy? Yes. Uh, uh, it's been a long time, but uh, I had a DWI in 84 and one eight months later in 85. So I was convicted of that felony. And then I had some problems in 91 where I was convicted of forgery, a Class C felony. Um, and I haven't been arrested since. Okay. I was wondering if I can get a, you know, I've never had a, owned a firearm. I was wondering if I can purchase one. Yeah, no, with any felony on your record, Brian, uh, you cannot buy a gun. Um, under federal That's law. That's what my probation officer told me. Yeah. No, it, it, it doesn't matter how long ago. It doesn't matter what level of felony. And what was the first one I heard the, the forgery? Uh, the, the first one was uh, my second DWI, I think, okay, was a yeah. D felony. Yeah. No, I mean, I hear that one a lot. The, the bad news is with a felony on your record, no matter how long ago, no matter what level, Cause, and, and there's a bunch of BS, Brian, out on the Internet. You'll you'll see people on the gun-related pages going, oh, if you have a nonviolent felony, you can possess a gun in Indiana. Well, no, you can't. Right. Cause there's, but that's absolutely untrue because under federal oh. law, which applies to us here in Indiana as well, um, any level of felony, uh, you cannot possess a gun. You're looking at, at the, a maximum of 10 years in prison. Uh, with, wow. any, with any felony, it doesn't matter what level, it doesn't matter when it was. That's the bad news. But, Brian, the good news is that we have expungement in Indiana, and expungement um, is available for not all felonies, like sex crimes can't be expunged and official misconduct, like, you know, a, a, a political corruption type situation, that can't be expunged. But for, for a lot of crimes, certainly not all, but for a lot of crimes, and this, this, this applies to both uh, forgery as well as, uh, you know, a, a second OWI, you can get those expunged. If it's been at least eight years and you've got a clean criminal history, you paid all your fines, fees, and court costs, any restitution, um, you, you know, you completed your probation, um, then if it's been eight years with a clean criminal history, and what you're telling me is it's been well past that, then you can get that expunged. And now for a C-level felony like the forgery, um, the conviction remains a public record, but your rights are restored, including your right to, to vote, to hold public office, uh, and to possess a firearm. For uh, lower-level felonies like D's that we used to call D's, now we've got a new system. As of about 2013 or 14, they changed the, the categorization for crimes, at least felonies. So we used to have... A through D plus murder, and now we have uh, numbers. We have level. We don't call them class 
anything. It's level one through level six, with six being the least severe, and uh, and then murder on top of that. But for uh, level six felonies or class D felonies, those are actually sealed off your record where the public cannot see it. Law enforcement, the court system can see them, but like for a, a job uh, situation, you know, doing a background check or something like that, they, they can't see those. For the higher level ones, they remain public records, but you're, you get your rights back. So I, I handle expungements all the time. Um, anybody interested in one of those, uh, you can contact my office. just through relfordlaw.com is the best way to do that. Um, and uh, I love doing it because I love restoring people's rights. That feels good. I've, I've done them where uh, people have not had uh, their ability to possess a firearm for, for 25, 30, 40 years, and they suddenly get that right back, and uh, it means a lot to them, and, and it's something I love doing. So if I could help you in that regard, Brian, give me a call. But let's get back to what I was talking about, which is uh, self-defense immunity and how that law changed here a number of years ago. And this case actually started unfolding, uh, for me anyway, in early 2019. But a couple of years earlier, yeah, I believe it was in 2017, there was a very heroic young lady, single mom, had uh, it was just going through a divorce, uh, a couple of teenage daughters in a, in a very small town down in southern Indiana, Rising Sun, Indiana, right on the, the river. There's a, there's a casino down there. It's a pretty little town, but a small town in Ohio County, by population, the smallest county in Indiana. But um, she was in in a more or less rural area, and her mom called her one afternoon and said, do you see this guy parked across my driveway? She goes, no, that's weird. And she looked out her window because her mom was her neighbor in this fairly rural area. And and she looked out her window, and she saw this kind of beat-up compact pickup truck parked across her mom's driveway, sort of half in the street, half in her yard or on the driveway. And there's a guy that's in the truck, but he he was acting really strange. He'd get out of the truck, he'd get in the bed of the truck, and he's like digging through the trash that's in the bed of the truck, and he's like picking up like like cigarette cartons and shaking them. He's looking at them, I don't know whether he's looking for drugs or, or what, but he's muttering to himself and he's just acting really weird. And so... She's talking on the phone with her mom about it and said, you know what? This guy's acting really strange. It's really weird that he's parked across your driveway. Well, let's just call the police. So her mom calls the cops, calls 911. And a, a local officer who's actually a conservation officer is in the area. But before he effected the stop, he actually was off duty, but he had his son with him. And he didn't want to do a traffic stop with his son. And his son knew Kisty's daughter. And, and again, the, the lady I'm talking about is Kisty Phillips. And again, I've talked about her a lot. Uh, she's a real hero to me. She's a hero to a lot of people for reasons I'll describe. But, but Kisty's daughter knew this officer's son, and so the officer dropped his son off and then went around to, to, to see what's going on with this guy. And as he saw the police car coming in behind him, he, he started moving. He started driving, and he ended up right in front of Kisty's house. An officer turned his lights on, the guy pulled over, and right away got out of the truck, and he's cussing at the officer, he's, he's yelling at the officer, and, you know, the pro- profanities and other incoherent gibberish. The officer's going, look, you need to get back in your vehicle, sir, and he just ignores that. He goes, that's all right, stop, put your hands on the vehicle. He ignores that, too. And he basically walks right up on the officer and j- tackles him, plants him, 
puts him on the ground on his back. And now they're fighting, and they're fighting over the officer's gun. And the officer's not winning this battle. The bad guy in this situation turned out to have been a, a, a high school wrestler. He's, he's a pretty stocky guy at this point. And he's high on several different drugs, including meth, as it turned out. So he's fighting the officer. He's winning the battle. They're fighting over the officer's gun. And officers losing that battle, too. And at one point, they're watching this, and they realize the officer's in immediate danger of getting shot with his own gun. Kisty grabs her handgun and heroically runs out there, and she's yelling at this bad guy, stop, stop, get off him, get off him. Stop, stop. And now the gun's coming around, getting very close to being pointed at this officer's face. Kisty realizes there's nothing else she can do. She fires a shot. She, she intentionally shot this guy in the shoulder, thinking she would just knock him off the officer. A lot of times people just see people getting shot in movies, and they think, you know, as soon as you get shot, you go flying through the air. And in this case, a bullet deflected off a shoulder bone and went through both lungs and killed the bad guy. Now, is that the justified use of deadly force? Well, what is it? You can prevent yourself or a third person from serious bodily injury. Is getting shot in the face with your own gun serious bodily injury? Well, of course it is. Is getting murdered serious bodily injury? Of course it is. You can also use deadly force to prevent the commission of a forcible felony. Is someone shooting a police officer who's just doing his duty lawfully, is that a forcible felony? Absolutely. So she was preventing an unlawful forcible felony, to wit, murder. She was preventing serious bodily injury or death to this officer. So absolutely, she's 100% justified. Officer said later that when he heard the shot go off, he thought it was him dying. Said he saw a little, uh, said a little prayer that he just hoped his son didn't watch him get murdered. But in fact, it was a heroic young lady who grabbed her own gun, ran out of the house, and defended that officer with deadly force. Fully, absolutely, completely justified deadly force. So is that the end of the story? Well, unfortunately, it's not the end of the story. But it's a story that ended up having a good ending. We'll get to that when we come back. In the meantime, we've had a couple of great callers, great questions. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. By the way, welcome our callers. We always want to uh, take questions and comments from our listeners. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. Let's get back to the subject at hand. So I was discussing what happened with the heroic actions of Kisty Phillips down in southern Indiana. Her name was Kisty Janin at the time, if you want to look up the news report of this. But... She was absolutely completely justified. Local police officer, certainly the hero, the, the officer she saved called her a hero. Local FOP called her a hero, Fraternal Order of Police. Local prosecutor's office called her a hero. No consideration at any point of filing any criminal charges against her because, of course, what she did was not only heroic, but it was fully legally justified for the reasons I went through before the break. So you would think that would be the end of it, right? And we have language, we had language at the time, 
in the self-defense statute that says no person shall be held in any legal jeopardy whatsoever. Well, you'd think that pretty much puts the end of it puts the end to any legal issue. Well, now almost two years later, so sometime early in late in 2018, early 2019, Kisty gets sued. Gets sued for millions of dollars. There's a, a law firm right across the river from Rising Sun in Cincinnati. We filed a lawsuit, a wrongful death lawsuit. I said, oh, well, she just overreacted. She, they were suggesting she's just a hysterical female who overreacted and ran out there and shot a guy when there was no need to shoot him. Totally ignoring the fact this guy was about to shoot an officer in the face with his own gun. But filed a lawsuit. And oh, by the way, since this unfolded in Kisty's front yard, where the traffic stop occurred, her homeowner's insurance was implicated. Let's talk about homeowner's insurance for just a minute. Homeowner's insurance, you know, has a liability provision. If somebody you know, gets hurt, injured on your property, and they say you're liable for that, or their estate, their survivors say you're legally responsible for that, then you have liability coverage. But there's an exclusion to the liability coverage for intentional acts. In other words, if somebody comes over to my house and I just haul off and punch them in the face for no reason, with no justification, I don't have any insurance for that because it's an intentional act. However, there's an exception to the exclusion. Sounds like an insurance policy, doesn't it? There's an exception to the exclusion, which is I can use force legally if it's justified to defend myself or another person. So this is on her property, so her homeowner's insurance gets involved. But first of all, they say, well, we want to control the defense. We're going to hire a lawyer. We can settle it if we want to settle it. And oh, by the way, they sent her what's called a reservation of rights letter that says if you're found to have not acted legally and justifiably, then there's no coverage for any liability. So in other words, she's getting sued. If the plaintiffs would win what they're asking for, which is millions of dollars, doesn't mean they're going to collect that much, but that's what they're suing for. And and in order to win, a jury, for instance, would have to decide she was not justified in what she did, then she has no coverage for that. So well, this is not a good situation to be in, particularly when she wants a passionate defense. She wants it proven that what she did was right, because to suggest otherwise is very, very painful. Because she had to go through. Listen, I mean, this is a a, a, a God fearing single mom, good person with a good heart. She didn't want to take anybody's life that day. It was a very, very traumatic experience. Then to get sued on top of that and be facing the loss of her home, the loss of her kids' college funds, loss of all her finances, big deal. And now they're saying, oh, well, and by the way, if you're found not to have been justified, there's no insurance coverage. Tough situation to be in, but again, it has a happy ending, which we'll get into when we come back right now. We're taking a break at the top of the hour. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. 
Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. I'll be getting right back to the discussion of uh, the heroic actions of Kisti Janin uh, and and really how that led to a dramatic improvement in Indiana law and how that came to bear in a case right here in Marion County here very recently. But before I do, though, a couple of people have called in. So let's go to the phone lines. We've got Ron. Ron, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good fall day. Really nice. Yeah, I appreciate it. What, uh, what you got for us? Um, so, um, like I uh, told your um, producer, I probably should know the answer to this question, but I, I'm a uh, retired law enforcement officer in March um, after 30 years. Um, decided to leave a stressful job to a real stressful job, went and got my CDL. <laughs> so mm-hmm. going through my – and when I got hired by the motor carrier, they were telling us that it's uh, against federal law for a semi-driver, CL driver to possess or carry the firearm while they're working. Or, um, and I, was, I wasn't I was sure of that, and I didn't know if that mattered, if you were a retired police officer, if that kind of superseded that. If so that was they're, the case. they're saying it's, it's prohibited? Yes, by federal law for a motor carrier. That's what they were telling us. Now, I realize their SOP is probably, you know, as a company, but yeah. there's... You know, know, Ron, I have had other people say that they were told that by their employers um, when they were, um, you know, CDL, uh, commercial driver license holders, um, uh, truckers, uh, for instance. Um, And I've never found that law. I I, I do not know that to be true. It may be out there and I'm somehow unfamiliar with it, but it's one of those that I think I would know about specifically doing, doing what I do for a living. A lot, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, company policies are going to say that you can't have a gun in your in your commercial vehicle, and they can fire you for doing that. And yes, they can do that. There are certain protections for workers with respect to firearms, but that it's not included uh, to uh, have a gun in, in a in a commercial vehicle, uh, contrary to the uh, policy of your employer. But I, I, I have never found that federal law. I've looked in the Department of Transportation regs. Um, it's certainly not in the criminal code. So I have never found that law. If somebody has seen that, somebody give me a citation because I will happily stand corrected. Um, but uh, I have, I've had people ask me that question for a lot of years. I've gone looking for it, and I've never found it. So if somebody could uh, point that out to me, if it in fact it exists, I'd love to see it. But to my knowledge, there's no such law or regulation. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines, and uh, and Matt has a question. Hey, guy. How are you today? Good, Matt. You doing all right? Yeah, good. Um, I had a question about the Daniel Perry case down oh, in Austin, yeah. Texas. Sure. So um, it seemed to me that his prosecution prosecution hinged not only on his public Facebook posts, but private Facebook messages as well. And can you talk to how social media might come into play in a self-defense trial or absolutely, 
Yeah, Thank yeah. you. No, it's a great question, Matt. And I think I talked about it a little bit at the time, uh, but it certainly uh, bears repeating in, in particular. And I think it's right in context with what we're talking about tonight, which is uh, a self-defense scenario. But for, for anybody who's not familiar with this or, or, or doesn't recall, uh, Daniel Perry uh, was in a vehicle, and this is during the, the summer of love, as Hammer and Nigel like to des- uh, describe it, um, when all the uh, uh, riots and, and mo- protests and uh, marches and whatnot were going on. But you know, a lot of them obviously turned violent. A lot of them turned destructive. But this was in Austin, Texas. And Daniel Perry was out in his vehicle, and there was a, a march or a protest going on. And he actually turned toward the protest and drove his car toward it. And that was a fact very much used against him. He didn't turn away from it. He turned toward it. But as he went toward it um, and got close to these marchers or protesters or rioters, whatever it is they were being at the time, uh, a particular person came walking up toward his vehicle with an AK-47. And... Daniel Perry testified the person pointed it at him. Other people could, you know, uh, contradicted that and said, no, he never actually pointed it at him. He just had it in his hands. And so there was conflicting testimony on that point. But this guy came walking up toward his vehicle in AK-47. Daniel Perry took his handgun and shot and killed this guy. And he was tried and ultimately convicted. And I don't remember if it was actually for murder uh, or whether it was manslaughter. It'd be hard-pressed to say he planned all of this, but uh, I want to say it was actually murder is, is, is my recollection as I'm sitting here. And so a lot of people were really upset about that and saying, hold on, you know, this guy is, is, is driving his car, minding his own business. If somebody approaches his car with an AK, he simply defended himself and he still got not only prosecuted, but convicted. And, 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 and it is shocking to think about until you get into some of the actual facts that came out during trial. And this is exactly what Matt is asking about and why he's asking a really important question. Because the prosecution was able to introduce, and again, they definitely used the fact that he turned toward the protesters. But in addition, they used against him the fact that he had posted on on social media, and I, I Matt said Facebook, and I think that's right. For instance, I remember one... Specifically, and I, I'm not trying to quote this, I'm paraphrasing, but one, a, a, a matter of days before this shooting that he was involved in, he posted from his apartment, there was a, a protest or a march or something going by, and he said, well, there are protesters uh, out again today. I hope I won't have to shoot someone. So he talked about shooting a protester before the actual shooting, and prosecutors were able to use that to say he was looking for a fight. He was looking for an excuse. He wasn't acting justifiably, which is in fear for his life or in fear of serious bodily injury. And I'm sure the Texas self-defense law is something very, very close to that. But in fact, he was looking for an excuse because he was mad about all these protests. He was mad about the the traffic uh, stoppages. He was mad about uh, businesses being shut down. He was mad about the effect the protests were having. So he by God, was going to take the law in his own hand, and he was going to shoot somebody. That's how they portrayed it. And I am not suggesting for a moment that's what happened. And, and, and I just referred to one post. There were multiple posts. They were able to introduce a trial. And so he took what was 
definitely a winnable case on self-defense and made it much, much harder for his legal team, for his lawyer to win because he said things on social media that were used against him at trial. And I got to tell you, it's a great question, Matt, and I'm glad you raise it. And again, I appreciate it being germane to the topic of the show as well, because I'll see people post things on social media, and I'm sure when they post them, they think they just sound macho or tough or, you know, taking a strong stance against crime. Hey, look, I understand. And I'm as much a law and order guy as anybody. There's a reason I carry a gun everywhere I can lawfully carry a gun. Because I want to have the capacity to defend myself. But if you put something on social media that makes you look like you're looking for a fight or you're looking for an excuse to shoot someone or you're mad at someone or a group of people like protesters, rioters, whatever you want to call them. And then God forbid something happens where you're actually called upon to shoot them. Don't think for a minute that won't be used against you. And it can be used, as we learned with Daniel Perry in Austin, Texas, it can be used very, very effectively against you. I saw somebody with a with a with with grips that they'd put on their gun. That said, "Born to kill." Well, okay, uh, makes you sound tough. You know, we've seen some movies with that. You know, where somebody had that tattoo or whatever. Oh wow, that sounds that sounds so tough. That sounds so macho. God forbid you actually end up having to use lethal force. Don't think for a moment that won't be used against you because you made the decision to put that grip on your gun. And we can talk about gun modifications and, and what, what, what matter and what don't among modifications. But anything that, that, that goes to your state of mind, in particular where you're looking for a fight, that can take away from the idea that you were acting innocently, merely trying to defend yourself or someone else, could definitely be used against you. And we learned that with Daniel Perry, and it's a very impo- important point. I'm glad that Matt raised it. In the meantime, we're at the quarter hour. We're taking a break. Give us a call. We've had great questions and comments so far. Give us a call uh, with your question or comment, 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in Central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Tell you, during the break, we had Robert call in because an earlier call, caller called in and said that he was told by his employer that it's illegal for someone to have uh, a, uh, a firearm um, in their commercial truck if they have a CDL, a commercial driver's license. And my answer at the time was, you know what, I've been asked that a lot over the years. I've gone looking for it. I can find no such law. I'm always hesitant to tell someone, oh, no, there's no such law because uh, there's a possibility it exists out there in some place that I didn't look. Uh, but Robert has called in, and uh, Robert, you say you can answer that question. 
Hey, guy. Uh, yeah, quick Google search. There's, uh, there's no federal motor carrier safety regulation that prohibits a firearm from being possessed by a commercial vehicle operator while driving the commercial vehicle. There you go. Uh, that sounds right to me, Robert. And uh, you, you, is it, where, where's that come from? It sounds like you were quoting something. Yeah, quick Google search, man. <laughs> so you got that Google law degree going for you there. Uh, hey, hey good, good for you, Robert. I, like I said, I've gone looking for it. I've actually gotten into the, you know, the legal libraries uh, electronically, and gone looking for any kind of DOT regulation or anything along those lines. But, uh, but hey, uh, it's good to to see that uh, a Google search anyway uh, confirms that. But thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Um, Let's get back to uh, the topic we've been running throughout the show, because again, uh, Kisty Jane and uh, later uh, Kisty Phillips, uh, and you heard the story before the break at the top of the hour. She heroically saved the life of police of a police officer and still got sued when there was no hint of anything she did illegal. But because this happened in her front yard, there was homeowner's insurance involved. And there was a $300,000 limit on her homeowner's policy. And wouldn't you know it, the family of the deceased bad guy who tried to kill a police officer and their lawyer said, you know, we'll just take the $300,000 limits for the homeowner's policy and go away. And you won't have to worry about this anymore. And the insurance company gets to make that decision under almost any liability policy you're ever going to have. And the local FOP down there, the Fraternal Order of Police down in Rising Sun, Indiana, looked at this whole situation, and they didn't like anything about this. Not only the fact that she'd been sued, but the fact that the insurance company could really call a lot of the shots. And so what they did is they started a GoFundMe. And they called it, I'll never forget, they called it Kisty's Best Defense. And they raised a bunch of money. I mean, just shy of six figures. And then one of the officers as part of the FOP actually called NRA in Virginia and said, hey, we're looking for a self-defense attorney would be the best one to have in a situation like this in Indiana. And, and I'm very grateful. NRA told them to call me. And so they did. I got, I got a call from Kisty herself, and she sort of interviewed me over the phone and made the decision to hire me. And after she hired me, I told her at the time, I said, Kisty, not only are we going to win this ridiculous lawsuit because you didn't do anything wrong. I looked up all the all the media reports on it, and they were all completely consistent with what she told me. I said, not only are we going to win this frivolous lawsuit, but we're going to change the law. Because it, I, I hearkened right back to what I talked about in the first hour, which is sitting through these lectures at firearms training facilities, where they've said, well, you know, even if you're completely justified, even if you don't get prosecuted, you're going to get sued. Just count on it. You're going to get sued. And thinking to myself, that's not okay. Why is that okay? Why does everybody just accept that? Like, well, yeah, that's what's going to happen. No, hell no. This needs to change, at least in Indiana. And you know what? Maybe it'll take off and we can change it many other places as well in many other states. So we did two things. I started defending the lawsuit and sent the message to the plaintiff's lawyers that I was involved. I, I didn't have to worry about getting paid in the sense that there was this GoFundMe account set up. So that wasn't coming out of Kisty's pocket. So she didn't have to worry about that. And that was through the good work of the officers down in Rising Sun, Indiana, who set up that GoFundMe. But secondly, I started working on a bill. And I called 
some of the pro 2A legislators in the Indiana General Assembly, and Jim Lucas was the first guy I thought of. And I called Jim Lucas and I said, I said, Jim, I'm going to write a bill in Indiana that makes it very clear that there's complete immunity for the lawful and justified use of force and self-defense, even as against a civil lawsuit, and creates a mechanism to get one of these cases dismissed early, thrown out. And I want to provide a deterrent to any such future lawsuit. And Jim said, oh, sounds great, guy. You write it, uh, send it over, and I'll introduce it. And that's exactly what we did in 2019. I wrote it. We sent it to the legislative services there in the state house. Their job is to, to sort of finesse it into looking like a statute, but I'd written a number of bills before, so they didn't have to do much. And we started going through the process. And I'll tell you what, the most compelling thing of the whole, out of the whole process, the legislative process, is that Kisty, and listen, she wasn't looking for any limelight. She wasn't looking for any attention. This whole thing was incredibly traumatic to her. She had to take a human life. She's a, she's a religious lady, a God-fearing young lady, single mom, good person. She wasn't looking for any of this. But you know what she did? She made the decision to come to the state house, and she testified in both the Senate Judiciary Committee and the House Judiciary Committee. And she put herself through that, and she had to relive the trauma of the whole event, including the trauma of getting sued and feeling like she was going to lose her house and her kids' savings plans and the whole spiel, college savings plans. And she was willing to do that because what she told me, she said, you know what, guy, if a lawsuit like this is successful, if somebody know they can, knows, if anybody knows they can be sued under these circumstances, even though they're completely lawful and justified, maybe the next person won't pick up their gun and run outside and save the life of that police officer. And that's why she made the decision to do it. So she was a hero again. She was a hero by saving the life of a police officer right there in her front yard. She was a hero again by showing up at the Indiana General Assembly and testifying. And it wasn't easy on her. It was traumatic on her. And I'll tell you, in both hearings, in both the House and the Senate, she told her story. There wasn't a dry eye in the place because of how traumatic the whole thing was to her. And she, But she was so eloquent. She was so well-spoken in telling the story, it affected everybody. There were some Democrats that were tearing up. You don't see that often on an issue like this. And that's why we got that passed. And I mentioned I wanted to build a deterrent into it. What's that mean? Well, it has immunity. There's a mechanism where you can get a case dismissed early based on the immunity and use the fact there was no criminal prosecution to say that raises a presumption that you were fully justified if you were not prosecuted, and you can use that presumption to obtain what's called summary judgment, which is an early dismissal of a lawsuit. And if you win a case based on the immunity, even at trial, based on a jury verdict or through summary judgment, get an early dismissal, then the plaintiffs have to pay back the defendant all their attorney's fees. There's a mandatory attorney attorney's fees provision in it. That's how we wrote it. And get, guess what? When when this was 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 going through the committee process and was in the in the house, and we went in and we had this hearing in Jerry Tors Judiciary Committee in the House. 
that, that Representative Jerry Torg chairs and does a fabulous job. By the way, he's just publicly announced that he's not running for re-election, and it broke my heart. I consider Jerry a dear friend. He's incredibly effective in the Indiana General Assembly. I've been in many meetings. I've been through a lot of discussions where Jerry's the only adult in the room, where people get mad, people get frustrated, and Jerry's the one to always be calm and smart, and uh, and we owe him a, a huge thank you. He represents a large part of Carmel, and uh, at right where my office is, for instance, and we've been blessed to have him in the General Assembly and blessed to have him as chair of the Judiciary Committee. And, and he's also a dear friend personally, so I'll still maintain, obviously, my relationship with him. But uh, to not have him in the House uh, and in the General Assembly anymore is, is personally breathtaking. But but in that committee, when it was it was clear this was looking up, was being looked upon favorably by the legislators, I called the TV stations in Cincinnati where this law firm was that had sued Kisty in her case. Said, by the way, you know, Kisty came in and is and, and is helping us get this passed, and this is going to get cases like hers dismissed early, and there's a mandatory attorney's fees provision in it. Just think you guys ought to know that. It's really interesting since all this unfolded right there in your backyard. And they all ran that story, including telephone interviews with me. And lo and behold, lo, lo and behold you know what happened? The plaintiff's law firm dismissed the lawsuit. They went, oh, hell no. We want no piece of this. But then ultimately we got that we got that statute passed. And that's the law of the land now. It has been since 2019. Governor Holcomb signed that bill along with Church Carey, a couple other pro-two-way provisions in it, right from the stage of the leadership conference of the NRA annual meeting 2019 that was here in town at the time. And that was a great day. And Kisty Kisty Phillips was there to see it. But that's the law in Indiana now, and it's the strongest self-defense immunity law in the country. And I'm advocating everywhere I know to for other states to pick this up and get it passed there too because you know what? You shouldn't have to fight that battle number three. If you were fully justified, there's no reason why you ought to face a frivolous lawsuit and face the incredible financial burden and financial risks that that entails. And it's a good law. It's a solid law. It ought to be the law in all 50 states. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what I can do to, to, to make that happen. In the meantime, we've got to apply that new law in another case of mine right here in Marion County, as I've talked about a bit. Uh, so we'll get into that here quickly when we come back. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're talking about the new immunity law we've had since 2019 that arose out of the heroic actions of uh, Kisty Phillips, named Kisty Janin at the time, um, who saved the life of a police officer but still got sued. And we said, you know what? We shouldn't let that happen. Uh, but in the meantime, Annie has called in with a question. Uh, Annie, you have a question for us? Hi, Guy. Uh, yeah, I've long wondered about this aspect of her case. Uh, obviously, she had stepped out in her own yard, and possibly the three teenage children had stepped out 
behind her to back her up. Uh, she pointed her gun at the shooter and made a target of herself by commanding him to stop. Uh, he didn't. And all, all the shooter had to do was shoot the downed officer in, in, in the face and then turn the gun on on Kisty. And I was wondering about the uh, principle of, is it curtilage? I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. <laughs> yeah, it, curtilage yeah, It's the uh, correct word. Yeah, it, it wasn't she also protected? I mean, she was clearly justified, no matter how you look at it, because she was saving an officer's life. Um, but your question is, does the the curtilage provision of the castle doctrine also uh, did that also protect her or should it have i get your question right uh yes and she was also obviously fearful for her her own life being the next yeah. target and possibly the the three children yeah i mean the um the ki- the kids uh, my recollection is annie they didn't follow her out they were still in the house but still she was right there and yeah she's potentially in harm's way if uh if if this bad guy successfully shoots the officer um this wouldn't be a case where castle doctrine and the curtilage provision of castle doctrine necessarily applies though uh in fact it wouldn't uh and here's why uh, what the, the concept of curtilage uh applies to um, areas outside the actual walls of your home where uh, you have some expectation of privacy. Um, it, it applies particularly if you're within an enclosure that also encloses the home, like, say, a security fence uh, or something along those lines, um, and where normal domestic activities occur, like the same things you do in your house. So what is curtilage? Um, your screened-in porch, is 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 likely going to be curtilage. Now we don't have any curtilage cases in Indiana, um, but uh, your whole yard is not your curtilage uh, because you don't have an expectation of privacy here. The the yard was open to the street. Um, this is happening just a matter of, of of a few feet, if that, from the edge of the road. So it's not an area where you know you're going to hang out and cook and clean or read or do the other those normal domestic activities like you do in your home. Um, and it's not somewhere we, where you have an expectation of privacy, and it wasn't within any kind of an enclosure that also enclosed her home. So curtilage isn't going to work. And and, and, and and there's a lot of un, a lot of confusion. It's something I spend some time on in my gun law class that you hear me pitching here on the radio all the time. And because there's a lot of confusion about curtilage, it does not extend to your whole yard. You can't say, ah, well, the person was on my property, therefore I could shoot him. Uh, absolutely not does not work that way. You can't just shoot trespassers. Um, and, and there are people, when I tell them that, they don't like hearing it. And I'll have people say, well, you know, I grew up on a farm and my, you know, my dad and my grandpa always told me if you see a, um, you know, a trespasser, we're going to shoot them. Well, okay. But that doesn't mean it's legal. And, um, and, and it's because it's not. Um, so yeah, curtilage, uh, applies to to some limited areas, but we have no cases that, that define it any more specifically. And so I'm going to be very limited in terms of you know my reliance on curtilage if I'm outside my home. If I'm outside my home, what I'm going to rely on for justification, and and look, I'll go a long way to avoid using deadly force for a lot of reasons we talked about tonight. Just get caught up in the whole process. Plus, how severe, how you know, significant it is to take a human life. I I don't want to do that. I'll go to a, through a lot to avoid it. 
But if I do, it's going to be because I feared for my life or I feared for the life of another innocent person if I'm actually outside my home. If I'm in my home and somebody's trying to break in uh, or someone has broken into my home, all right, I'll defend my castle, I'll defend my home, I'll defend my family, uh, and I'll, I'll do it uh, with extreme prejudice, as they say. But, uh, but, but curtilage is much more limited, I think, than what people realize when you're actually outside your home. So, new case. And, 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 and I'll get into this just briefly. And it's to some degree still pending. Summary judgment has been granted. Um, so it's in a process of being dismissed. Uh, but I want to name names and that kind of thing since uh, there's, there's still some uh, open ends. And the other side may appeal it. But it's a case uh, right here in Mary County where uh, it is a classic Castle Doctrine case where a husband and wife were asleep in their beds uh, right in Mary County. Minding their own business. Three o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden, the dog goes crazy. It's because someone's kicking on, putting their shoulder into the front door, trying to bust through the front door. And this guy's yelling, let me in, let me in. And it appears to, be, uh, appears to be impaired in some way, but he's not making any sense. He's going, let me in, and he's kicking on the door. And the, the husband says, man, go away. We don't know you. He's like, no, let me in, let me in. And he keeps trying to force his way through the door. And they tell him again to go away. This time, the guy goes around to the back door. Now he's pounding on the back door, tries to get in through the back door. And by the the grace of God, it was locked as well. And the husband, at this point, has retrieved his handgun. And he's saying, go away. I'm armed. Go away. And uncontested facts were, at that point, this guy breaks a window there next to the back door in an attempt to get in. And the guy looks right through the, the homeowner looks right through the broken window. It says, man, go away. I have a gun. And the guy says, you're going to have to shoot me and tries to come through the window. At that point, fully justified under the castle doctrine, off the, the homeowner fires a shot and killed the guy trying to break in. And again, I mean, nobody takes that lightly. That's a big, big deal. But he tried awfully hard to avoid it telling the guy multiple times to go away. And only when he took that act of breaking the window and tried to come through did the homeowner defend his home, defend his wife and himself. But just like in Kisty Phillips's case, Kisty Jane at the time, somebody filed a lawsuit. Oh, it's a wrongful death. It wasn't really justified. Police never for a moment recommended prosecution. The prosecutor's office never for a moment considered prosecution because it was fully justified. And at this point, now we have the new self-defense immunity statute on the books that says there's complete immunity for the lawful and justified use of force. You can't file a lawsuit. And if you do, you're looking at mandatory attorney's fees after it gets dismissed. So what happened? Well, that's what we'll go into to wrap this up. If we have any additional callers, we'll try to get to them as well. 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for the last segment of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. So, I'm happy to say that just like Kisty Phillips's case, this more recent case, Marion County, also, as of right now, has also a very happy ending. 
in that uh, we had a hearing on our motion for summary judgment. The uh, very good judge right here in Mary County uh, saw this for what it was, which was a case that should be dismissed under the new immunity statute that's been on the books since 2019, and uh, not only granted summary judgment, but requested the defense attorney, that, including me, to uh, submit uh, their final bill for legal services, at uh, which point uh, there would be an award of attorney's fees where the, the plaintiffs who filed the goofy lawsuit to begin with uh, has to uh, has to reimburse uh, defendant their attorney's fees. And so it's it's an important case. And, and, and listen, I don't talk about it here on the radio to gloat because uh, we won. Uh, Gloating is always fun. I just do that at home with my wife. I don't do it much on the radio. The reason I'm talking about it here is I really want word of this uh, to get out. And I want I want lawyers to know about this. Uh, it's only been on the books here for a few years, like I say, since 2019. But the laws changed in Indiana. And 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 listen, if 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 the facts were different and if this was not justified, if someone has actually committed a criminal act and, and hurt you or hurt a family member or killed someone, and there's a potential for a wrongful death lawsuit, if it's based on a criminal act where something was done to, to, to harm your loved one or to you, and it was not legally justified, then have at it. This doesn't affect that in any way. And if there's any evidence, if there were any evidence in this case that, in fact, the shooting was not justified. The use of force was not justified. That would have defeated the summary judgment motion, and we'd be going forward to have a trial. It only applies where the, where the plaintiffs can't come up with any evidence to rebut that presumption of justification that arises from no criminal prosecution. If there's any evidence To rebut that presumption, then hey, let's go have us a trial and may the best side win. But that's not the case. And where there's no evidence of criminal activity and plaintiffs are just trying to extort a settlement, especially from an insurance company. Well, it doesn't, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not worried about the insurance company's money. That's not my point. But they tend to do that more often because a lot of insurance companies would rather just pay a settlement for X amount of money rather than pay 2X in defense costs by defending the lawsuit on the merits. And that's why that's such a dangerous precedent, especially if those people get paid. And here, not only do these plaintiffs not get paid, they have to pay back the defendant's attorney's fees. Now, will we ever see that? Will we ever collect it? I don't know. That'll be the next chapter of the story. But in the meantime, the word should go out and I enjoy spreading the word. In fact, I, I really want to attend another one of those lectures where some instructor stands up and said, oh, by the way, you know, even if you're fully justified in using force to defend your home or you're fully justified in defending yourself or your family, you're still going to get sued. Just count on it. You're still going to get sued. Happens every time. I want to be in the back of the room in one of these really big lecture halls, and I want to stand up and put my hand up and really loud, I want to say, not in Indiana. That'll be satisfying because that's exactly the case. We've changed that. This lawsuit should have never been filed. I was surprised they continued with it after we raised the immunity statute. But that's why that's why we did it. 
That's why Kisty Phillips is, was a hero, not only for saving that officer's life that day, but also for sticking with it and helping us get that law changed. And it was her testimony that helped us get that done more than anything else. That's a big deal. And we'll be back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.